Hi everyone, welcome to this episode of Under the Covers with Eve. Now it's been a while since we last spoke, but uh, hopefully you'll enjoy this episode. This one is on the male gaze. In fact, this episode is a little late. Um, okay, more than a little late. I, I had, I'd wanted to bring this up during the Olympics. Uh, well, <clears throat> so much for that. But I, I think you know the Olympics well enough that I can discuss it without actually having to be on TV right now. Let's hope anyway. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so I hope you guys are all doing well. I, You know, it, something occurred to me that when I was planning out this episode, I thought for this discussion, I would really love this to just really be about kind of shooting the breeze with you. Like we're friends having a beer and talking about life. And, you know, I would love to make this more of a, of a discussion with just odd ideas and suggestions thrown out there. You know, not some treaties that you just have to listen to. I'd, I'd like to know what you think about doing something like that for future episodes, in fact. I could maybe set up a Skype session with a few listeners and we could talk about something together, you know, in real time. Um, so let me know in the comments if you think this is something you might like, um, either to take part in or to just listen to. Because, you know, everything I talk about here is just things I've thought of or just my opinion. So I think if we could just sort of talk about things in that vein, um, hear each other's ideas and think about things, I think that leads to a lot more um, open-ended discussions and a lot more thinking about things, which is what this whole series is really about. So, anyway, let me know. Male gaze. Okay, male gaze. The Summer Olympics, in particular, always tends to, to bring up the issue of the male gaze. In quotes. You see these camera angles kind of lovingly zooming in on the tight little derrieres of the female runners and, you know, the volleyball players in particular, who have, dare I say it, you know, slightly more womanly bodies than the tiny, muscular little gymnasts. I don't usually even hit four feet tall, some of them, but they get their share of ogling too. No question. The point is, female athletes are invariably singled out for their hotness by the media and by guys in general. And it tends to get everybody all worked up. They're serious athletes. How dare you reduce them to sex objects, blah, blah, blah. I'm sure you've heard it all. The thing that doesn't get talked about much is how women ogle the male athletes, too. I've included a link to a tweet by Cosmo. It's clearly just lusting over the men's swim team in their, in their little speedos. I mean, it's blatant. For some reason, this is completely okay for women to, quote, reduce these athletes to sex objects. That's okay. Total double standard here. Totally okay to be outraged for behavior that they themselves are engaging in. Now, okay, here's the thing. Even if you believe that it's quite okay to have double standards, even if you subscribe to the idea that women are held to different standards than men, that we have suffered longer, um, that we're victims of so-called toxic masculinity, whatever, even if you choose to believe all this, I want you to consider this. What we're talking about, in essence, is men finding women attractive. Maybe even going further, it's about men wanting to have sex with women. Is this a problem? 
mean, this is a real question I'm asking. This is a serious question. Is this a problem? I don't think it is. Do men objectify women? Sometimes, yes, they do. Do women objectify men? Sometimes, yes, we do. Do we want to have sex with each other? Oh, pretty much all the time. Do we sometimes see each other as only, you know, and I use that in quotes, only as sex objects? Oh, sure. <laughs> I certainly do. And, but the most important thing is, I guess, does that hurt anyone? Now, most of the time, I don't think so. I think it's great. But, but I will get to that in a minute. First, I'd like to talk a little bit about what might be behind this male gaze thing from a biological or an evolutionary perspective. I tried to figure it out, you know, why men seem in general, in general, I always put that in big capital letters, <laughs> don't write in, um, to be so visually oriented when it comes to sex. It doesn't mean women aren't visual too. Okay, we are, but I would say it's a fairly safe assumption or a fairly safe observation, maybe, to say that men really, really, really like visuals, more so than women seem to. You can call it patriarchy or whatever you want, but I don't think it's really that complex an issue. Playgirl, the magazine for women that features everything that Playboy used to, you know, uh, only with nude men and nude male centerfolds and that kind of thing, apparently it has only about 3,000 subscribers after being around for 40 years um, and about half of them are gay men there's no mr. America pageant um, and mr. universe is is just bodybuilding it's not the whole thing that miss universe is I suppose there are handsome movie stars and musicians who turn women on just because of their looks but if you think about it most of them rarely if ever even take their clothes off um, or do anything sexual. Maybe they take their shirts off once in a while in a movie, but they don't really do anything sexual. For whatever reason, the visual presentation of men as sexually desirable has never really been a widespread thing. Chip and nails dancers aside, I mean, most of the time, they're, they're mostly just laughed at more than anything. Um, it's not a widespread thing, and and certainly not to the degree that it seems to have always been for women. I think we can kind of, you know agree on that part. So if you grant this idea for the sake of this argument, that um, men are more turned on visually than women are, hence the male gaze, then the question becomes, so why? Why is this? Why would men value looks in a potential partner so much more highly than women do? And I have a theory. Of course I do. So get comfy. Go grab another beer. I'll wait. I'm just gonna <laughs> get cozy on the couch here. Okay. Um, so we're all pretty familiar with the way most sexually reproducing creatures go about mating. We have a general idea. Across the species, there are certain signals, both chemical um, and hormonal and visual, that alert the male to a receptive female. In some mammals, it's called being in heat. You can look up the um, estrus cycle if you want to learn more, but essentially, in many mammals, the female is available for mating only a few times a year. 
sometimes even only once a year or every couple of years. The signals are sometimes very visual, like um, female primates, but, you know, that swell up and turn bright red, things like that. But more often than not, it's just chemical or hormonal. The point is, the male always knows that the female is ready and raring to go, right? He knows. Except in humans, <laughs> no, it's different. Of course it is. <laughs> and, and before I go any further, I want to clarify a couple of things here. When I talk about humans in this discussion, I literally mean homo sapiens. Okay, cave people. And see no man, you know, the biological beings we are and have been for about 200,000 years. We have evolved and changed and our brains have developed and all that. But I'm talking about our most primitive essence. The stuff that goes on in our limbic systems, our, our reptile brains, you know, the parts of our brains that are responsible for fighting, fleeing, feeding and fucking, you know, to, <laughs> to put it succinctly. The stuff that drives our species to survive and reproduce. I'm not taking into account all the myriad differences, the cognitive parts of our brains, the fact that we have sex for pleasure, that we have sex in spite of not wanting to reproduce, that we are attracted to the same sex and therefore wouldn't reproduce with, with those people naturally. You know, I'm not talking about anything like that. I'm talking about the simple basic biological imperative to reproduce that every organism on the planet has from the you know, lowliest bacteria right up to us. Okay, so a little bit of biology here. For starters, human females are capable of getting pregnant roughly once a month, every month, for about 40 years, give or take. But the trick is we're only fertile for about two days during each month. And then that's it. The egg disintegrates and we have to wait another 28 days to try again. In animals, when they go into heat, they can be fertile for weeks. So there are lots of opportunities to get pregnant, but not so for, for us. Now the window of, of the potential for fertilization is a bit wider because sperm can live for about five days inside a woman's body. So for example, if you have sex on the 15th of the month and she ovulates on the 20th, she can still get pregnant. Your sperm can be alive inside her for five days, that sort of thing. By the way, I, I recently did a short audio explaining in very simple terms what periods are and how they work. So I'll link to that audio if you want to learn about that part of the magic of life. Anyway, um, what we also have is um, a thing called concealed ovulation. We don't show any signs and we don't give off any signals that we are ovulating. And our ovulation tends to move around. If the average woman were to look at her cycles over a year, um, provided that she isn't taking hormonal birth control that would affect it, she'll find that her periods move around the calendar slightly which usually uh, indicates that her ovulation window has also changed. Now, I'm going to come back to that point in a minute and discuss whether it's really hidden or not. But for now, let's just go with the standard wisdom that says human females show no physical changes and release no chemicals to show the male that they are ready for sex. So if you're a human male 
and nature has given you a sex drive for the purposes of getting a female pregnant. And how are you supposed to know whether she would be receptive to you or not? That's the big question, right? If you want to be blunt about it, how would you end up impregnating her, even if she wasn't particularly interested in you, but you, you know, kind of impregnated her anyway, the way a lot of animals do? How has nature solved this problem for us? I would say that the best solution would be, in theory, to make men attracted to women all the time. All the time. Because if you don't know when she's receptive, if you can't know when she's receptive, your best bet at passing on your genes is to be interested in mating with her pretty much every hour on the hour for most of your life, right? Doesn't that make sense? And I think this might be part of the answer, at least, as to why men are drawn to visuals. In the absence of any chemical signals, without knowing when or if she's fertile, you know, without the big red butt sticking out, you know, it's possible it became more important to be attracted to women in general, all the time based on visual attractions to women alone. I believe that human male and female sexuality naturally co-evolved with each other. We responded and reacted to each other uh, throughout the years. So it's difficult, if not impossible, to determine which came first. But take the development of breasts in women. Mammals don't have developed breasts all the time only when they're pregnant or nursing their babies. Their breasts go away after the babies stop nursing, but not in humans. In humans, breasts develop at puberty, and even though women only produce milk when we're nursing, the breasts themselves remain for the rest of our lives. They might change size with circumstances or age, but they become a permanent feature of our bodies. So why is this? Why do women have boobs all the time? Could it be related to the fact that men have evolved to be ready to mate with us all the time? I think it's a possibility. I think in an evolutionary sense this may have happened because over 200 millennia men probably chose to mate with women who had breasts more than women who didn't. And so we developed them permanently. But again, this flies in the face of the standard evolutionary wisdom, at least as far as I can see. Because usually ovulation is suppressed in females who are breastfeeding. So you would think that males would have learned not to be attracted to a woman with breasts. Because it means she has another man's baby and she can't get pregnant with yours right now. You'd think that this would this would mean men would have learned to be attracted to women without breasts. But in general, the opposite is true. So I'm assuming that the main reason men started liking women with breasts is simply that they represented fertile, sexually mature women in general, on the whole kind of thing. And they, <laughs> and they look nice, you know, and comfy and soft and all that. They, they signal that this is a woman, basically which is all the signal a man is going to get, you know? The point is, whatever the evolutionary reason for it, men developed an attraction to the sight of developed breasts in females. Very much so. Much the same way, by the way, 
um, the human penis size is the size that it typically is. It doesn't have to be as big as it is, the average size that it is. A penis the size of a pencil, or much shorter than that, you know, the size of the length of a match kind of thing, could deliver sperm into a vagina. But anthropologists and evolutionary biologists believe that over millennia, women preferred to have sex with men who had thicker penises, because it just felt better. And by that, I mean the typical size, okay? You know, not the monster cocks you see in porn. I mean the average four or five inch penis. And so that trait began to get passed down. Human men developed four or five or bigger inch penises in general. This theory about the, the breasts, anyway, is also borne out by the fact that humans are one of the few species who developed face-to-face -face sex, not rear-mounting, as you see in the animal world, or at least not exclusively that. So if you're looking at her or her front, you're going to like what you see, right, if she's got big breasts. So that could be part of it, too. You've also likely heard the theories about childbearing hips, you know, and I do think that has some role to play as well. Um, men usually seem to like the hourglass figure on a woman. They like curves and thin waist. Um, but it could just be because wider hips mean greater ability to give birth. Or it could mean that they like an hourglass figure because it's a clear cue that this is a woman, i.e. not a man. You know. In other words, the brains of our male ancestors essentially said, okay, I have no clue whether she's fertile or not right now. But she's got the hips and the boobs and the booty of a sexually mature woman, so it's go time. You know, I don't know. It could be as simple as that. Now, going back to what I said about hidden ovulation, there's been a lot of research done into this in the past few years, and it's becoming, well, evident that women actually do reveal when they are ovulating, just in very subtle ways. Researchers have noticed that women tend to dress more provocatively when they are fertile. They wear lower cut tops, tighter clothing, things like that. And women self-report that they think about sex more often during their ovulation, which sometimes results in their being more flirtatious openly with men, which is the kind of signal itself. Biologically, there's also a slight change in the viscosity of the vaginal fluids around the time of ovulation. There are even uh, ovulation predictor kits if you're trying to get pregnant. Um, they have a little magnifying glass under which you can look at a sample of your own fluids and note the differences between your non-fertile times and the times when ovulation is, is imminent. And there are also those who believe that human pheromones exist, which account for why groups of women who live or work together tend to end up syncing up their menstrual cycles to be fertile at the same time. Now, pheromones haven't been scientifically proven, but they may provide an explanation for the syncing up of these menstrual cycles, even just in evolutionary terms. Back in caveman times, if all the men went off for the hunt and were gone for weeks, it was kind of important for the survival of the whole tribe that when the men came back, as many women as possible became pregnant before the men all left again. If only one woman was ovulating when the men returned, only one new baby would possibly be born. But if every woman in the tribe or the group was 
fertile when the men came back with their woolly mammoth or whatever, then chances were good that several babies would be born, increasing the size and the survival of the tribe as a whole. But as I said, there doesn't seem to be any proof that humans detect pheromones or that they even exist. All we really have to rely on then is visual stimulation. And that, according to what we're discussing here, has to be constant. So doesn't it make sense then that men kind of evolved to look at women all the time in a sexual way? I think it makes sense. If men could impregnate women every time they had sex, potentially, and yet they had no idea if she was fertile, that theory makes sense. You have to make him, if you're nature, you have to make him want to have sex all the time. So you have to make him pay attention to the women around him to find the ones that he finds attractive all the time. It also makes sense that if women could only get pregnant for a couple of days each month, and that during that time they started to feel hornier or notice changes in their fluids or whatever, then they wouldn't need to be as visually attracted to men all the time. At least not quite so much. It's just an idea, anyway. So I, I hope it's clear that I'm not suggesting that we're just hardwired to be cave people and that this excuses bad behavior or sexism. It doesn't. But I think it might give us some perspective on why men find women so visually appealing. I think it also might help us deal with it better in our new, enlightened, more cerebral age. Because the last thing I want to do is shame men or women for their sexual interest in each other. I think that's happening way too much these days. I think we're losing something really precious and vital and life-affirming. If men become too terrified to even approach a woman for fear of being labelled a sexist or a misogynist, I think that will spell disaster for everyone. I also don't want to ignore the realities of what this kind of attraction can lead to in some circumstances. I'm not naive about that, and I don't want to just sugarcoat everything as if being a caveman towards women is perfectly acceptable. I don't think most men want to do that, you know? I think most men are genuinely concerned about how to manage their attraction to women without either offending or hurting women or metaphorically castrating themselves either. So here's what I've come up with. Tell me what you think about this. I think there are really only two situations or behaviors in which, quote, the male gaze, and I won't talk about the female gaze just for the sake of this discussion, <laughs> um, in which the male gaze is what I would consider inappropriate or potentially harmful or maybe should be self-controlled or however you want to put it. Number one, if you find that your assessment of a woman's looks or sexiness is interfering with your ability to treat her as an equal or work with her as a colleague or respect any authority she might have, that kind of thing, then I think that's a problem. In other words, if you can't look at a woman you find attractive without being completely obsessed with sexual thoughts to the point of not being able to be, quote, normal <laughs> in your attitudes and dealings with her, then I think you need to work on that. That's a problem.
It's perfectly fine to be attracted to women around you, even wildly so. But if you find that you can't take a deep breath and calm down, if you simply can't see her as just a person, even a really sexy person, you know, then you need to do something about it. This is no longer just you appreciating how someone looks or how sexy she is. This is you letting your sex drive take over your brain. It's not fair to the woman you are dealing with, and it's not fair to you. You're an intelligent man capable of seeing women as more than just sex partners. You owe it to yourself to work this out. You can and should, however, trust yourself when you simply admire the beauty of a woman. You shouldn't berate yourself for finding a woman attractive or for imagining her naked or for thinking about sex with her. This isn't offensive. This is life. This is nature. This is what you're almost biologically compelled to do. The fact that men can have these thoughts so often and yet not lunge at every woman they see is a testament to how great most men are, how good and decent they are, and how unwilling most of them are to hurt or offend women. So be easy on yourself if you find women around you sexually attractive. It's okay. And number two, and there's only two of them, so <laughs> number two, this is kind of the opposite of number one, actually. If your male gaze leads you to make a negative value judgment about a person based on how unattractive you find her, that's inappropriate. And I want to expand on this a bit just to clarify, because this is something I've noticed and it really perplexes me a little, I'll admit. It's mostly men who do this, at least that I've seen, that I've looked into. The best way I can describe it is this. Some men actually get angry that all women aren't supermodel gorgeous. If they see a woman on the street just minding her own business and that woman isn't young and thin and beautiful, they'll insult her and call her names. You know, if they see a picture online of someone who's a little heavier, a little older, you know, not quite attractive, a little flat-chested, whatever, they'll react with anger that she looks this way usually by insulting her quite viciously. It really seems like these men are actually outraged that their eyes happen to fall on an average looking person. Oh my God, like how dare I have to look at someone who doesn't make my cock hard, you know? Or even how dare unattractive women even exist. I don't like looking at them. It makes me angry that they've entered my line of sight. This is pretty strange, isn't it? I mean, if you think about it this way, like, what makes anyone so full of themselves that they think they can pass judgment on the physical looks of random strangers? And, you know, I don't mean that as, as an insult, really. I really wonder, like, when did this develop? This sense that it's okay to just hurt other people for not looking good enough for you. I mean, I'm not criticizing anyone for not finding certain people attractive to each his own. You know, if someone's looks aren't appealing to you, that's fine. They'll be appealing to someone else. No one is telling you that you have to find someone attractive if you don't. But I don't understand taking it beyond that. And, you know, actively insulting someone or harassing them or writing nasty comments online. The only purpose that serves is to hurt someone. And, you know, usually the desire to hurt someone comes from anger. So I don't really quite understand it. 
Some men have said that they what they don't like is the, quote, fat agenda being forced upon them, that women like models, uh, Ashley Graham or Tess Daly, two um, plus-size models, have no business presenting themselves as attractive women. Um, they say they want a thin, big-breasted, beautiful girl on the cover of their swimsuit issue and not some cow like Ashley Graham. I've actually heard that. And they just refuse to be told that fat girls can be beautiful too. Sometimes, some people also claim it's about health, which is really kind of hilarious, like anyone gives a damn about how healthy a stranger is. But uh, mostly what you'll see is just comment after comment along the lines of, oh, what a fat pig, you know, that kind of thing. Even the Olympic athletes, who are in excellent shape, clearly, even they couldn't escape this sort of judgment passing. Some of the U.S. women's gymnasts posted a picture of themselves in bikinis on the beach in Rio. And of course, I mean, they've got great bodies and abs like, you know, well, like what you'd expect from people who flip their bodies through the air and stuff. But um, <laughs> I mean, among all the praise and the compliments were a couple of comments from guys who said things to the effect of small tits, though, or y'all find this attractive, LMAO, you know, um, which, of course, enraged a lot of people who rightly pointed out that these women did not spend their lives becoming gymnasts to please, quote, your dusty ass, as one responder put it. They weren't even putting themselves out there as models or as sexy women. They were just showing their fans a glimpse of their day at the beach. So it was particularly galling to be told by some random guy, you know, that he didn't find them attractive enough for him, whoever he is, the implication, of course, is that for some men, the only purpose women serve in a man's world is to be attractive to them. And so judgment comes automatically to these men's minds. Would I do her? You know, that kind of thing. Donald Trump is a good example of this. I get the strong feeling from him that the only women he values um, at all <laughs> are hot women. And he sees them in terms of how doable they are. Women who aren't hot, or who are older, or for whatever reason not potential sex partners according to his standards, receive his insults and disdain. Which kind of circles back to point one. If you're engaging with women simply through the lens of sex, I think you have a problem. And if you're willing to be hurtful and abusive to the women you don't want to have sex with, that's just as big a problem as if you reduce the women you do want to have sex with down to mere sex objects. Both are hurtful. Both are putting way too much importance on sex within the context that you're in. But beyond that, I, I think that's pretty much it, at least as far as I can see. It comes down to respect, including respect for yourself, and respect for the women around you. It's not about telling you not to find someone attractive. It's, it's more about realizing that sex isn't all there is in life, and that engaging with other people, uh, sometimes, quite often in fact, demands that you put aside your sex drive and see them as people first and sex partner second or third or not at all as the case may be and that this is this is okay you don't have to hate and insult a woman if she's not attractive to you any more than you have to obsess about someone who is you can just enjoy your attraction to women you can enjoy the beauty of women around you you can even praise women for being beautiful but as long as you keep it within that sort of regulated realm of rationality you know you're not going to insult anyone 
and you're not going to just lose your mind over someone either. I think that's all you need to worry about. The rest of the time, just be yourself. Just love women. It's okay. But what do you think? Anyone want another beer? <laughs> okay, it's your turn. Let me know what you think about this. So that's it for this week. Thanks for listening. Please join me again. Um, I think next time I'm going to suggest another movie night. I have a title in mind and um, I liked our discussions last time, so I think I might do that next time. But until then, stay warm, stay cozy, and I'll talk to you later. Bye-bye.